0: Life in a Small French Village, Episode 8, The neo Rurals. Why did I move from Paris to the country? It's a good question. But if you'd asked me that at the time my answer might not have been particularly coherent what i did have was a strange dreamy idea of rural life the result of long hours spent at the national library the bibliothèque nationale reading travelers accounts of a lifestyle that hadn't existed for well over a hundred years and walking across the country i was convinced that life in the lovely sand-colored villages would remain unspoiled i wanted to be part of that world and i somehow believed that the past was accessible i had of course every reason to be more wary a friend philippe bought a house in a tiny community near blois it was the ideal rural setting a few houses scattered here and there old people who still maintain the traditional way of life living in one room at each end of stone-built houses with the animal stalls in the middle section, and their body warmth helped to heat icy winter days. There were still large canopied beds on one side of the great fireplace in such dwellings, and long wooden tables at which we all sat, drank homemade, rather rough wine made from the grapes growing just outside the door. And all along the walls were large ceramic crocks where hams, in their saline solution, waited for tasting. In such houses, fascinating tales were told in front of the crackling fire, and there was a feeling of permanence, well-being. We thought such places would last forever. But Philippe left the village for three years, went to Africa to work as a teacher, and when he returned... The old folks were quickly dying off, the surrounding farmland had been sold and rezoned, and his old ancient house with its views of rolling hills was now smack in the middle of a housing development. I wasn't terribly original in my desire to leave the city and find a rural way of life. I was only part of a movement. In the 1960s many other urban dwellers, also dreaming of rich forests and fields of lavender, were more than happy to trade urban frenzy and polluted air for life in isolated rural areas. There were so many of us in the 1970s, the process received a name, rurbanization. Some of these new urban exiles, let's call them neo-rurals, chose to live outside the cities but commute back to them for work. Others had country houses but maintained a city residence, and some cut all urban ties. It was, of course, widespread car ownership that permitted such mobility. The tradition of possessing a country home had become all the fashion in the 19th century, when the middle class had begun holidaying in country houses in rural areas recently made accessible by the new train service. They were, of course, Copying the aristocrats, who had lived in elegant townhouses during the social season, then returned to their estates in the country in summer. And now, in the 1960s and 70s, we, the neo-rurals, were buying up the old houses in small villages, modernizing or restoring them, adding inside toilets, turning vegetable patches and animal coops into pleasant gardens. The authentic villagers, the rurals, watched all of this with a jaundiced eye. They had been leaving the villages en masse since the pre-war period, when their labour was being replaced by new machines, tractors and combine harvesters. At first, such expensive machines were shared by several farming families. Then, owning a tractor became a status symbol, and there was competition to see who could buy the biggest and the shiniest. Eventually, in some areas, agricultural enterprises became the norm, and the old utensils, tools, and antiquated tractors began to find new homes in museums, right alongside handmade furniture and local costumes. The post-war social scene began changing quite quickly. Farmers no longer got together with their neighbours for harvesting or making cider people no longer gathered in the evenings to tell tales and carry out simple tasks such as shelling nuts, making jams or basket weaving. Religion, the glue that had always held rural society together, also declined, and with it traditional fates once closely linked to the church. Even those moments of solidarity after mass when men went to the local cafe to wet their whistle and the women gathered in groups on the main square to wet their tongues began to disappear of course one shouldn't think that all those vanished festivities were cheery events take for example carnival thought of today as a fun celebration Originally, however, it was the moment to publicly humiliate those who didn't conform. Couples who lived together irregularly, or henpecked or battered husbands, or husbands whose wives had been unfaithful. Such victims were paraded through town on the back of a donkey while all jeered, or the windows of their houses were spattered with flour and water. In other words, Carnival was really quite a witch hunt. With the loss of local jobs, rurals began working in the new factories in larger towns and eventually began moving to the new suburbs springing up around them. Improvements in transportation meant the disappearance of artisans, plumbers, builders, shoemakers for example, because you could live in a village but work outside of it in a larger conglomeration where there was more chance of finding custom. And in any case... Rurals had no desire to live in the old village houses. They couldn't understand why such shambling, quaint places in stone, adobe and thatch were even desirable property. No, they preferred to construct new villas in cinder block and cement. And, whenever financially possible, to move into the rapidly spreading new housing developments. The arrival of electricity then television gave rurals new dreams. They wanted to emulate those they saw on the screen and buy what was offered. The children of those who had remained in the villages were even more determined to leave. Hating what they thought of as backward rural isolation, they dreamt of city lights and life in the fast lane. To them, the noisy, dirty urban tower blocks and roaring streets were preferable. They were willing to do anything, go into service, live in the midst of a crowd just to escape the country. In the villages, the incoming neo-urbans created social circles amongst themselves, not with the rurals with whom they had far less in common. There were books exchanged, parties, outings, dinners at each other's houses, something quite foreign to locals, I discovered. Once I invited my rural neighbours, Mary Paul and her husband Guy, to dinner and it was a very uncomfortable affair. Disoriented at not having their six noisy children around them at the table, they had never had a meal without the television blasting out a game or variety show, and where polite conversation was expected in its place. They found this social endeavour rather odd, something that was, well, foreign. In fact, back then, locals certainly did consider the neo urban newcomers as intruders, but not intruders to be admired. And it must be admitted that if the villagers were sometimes eccentric, the middle class newcomers were rather like the characters in a John Updike novel. Despite my friendships with rurals, I was also classified as a neo urban, and as such, was invited to the parties, dinners, social activities of the incomers. Yes, there was infidelity and too much alcohol, but that can also be said about the rurals, although they went about it in quite a different way. Certainly the large and vulgar real estate agent, who could never pass an evening without openly fumbling someone's wife, might never have been considered amusing and the life of the party amongst The RURALS. And amongst the Neo RURALS there was divorce, still quite rare in the world of the RURALS, and much denial, and a good dose of hypocrisy, too. One Neo RURAL couple particularly fascinated me. She, Marie Christine, was a very prim and proper lady. Born in the city, well educated, she was now a very dedicated, house proud wife and mother. Her husband, Jean-Michel, was an elegant man, slender, with a little moustache, and always well-dressed. Certainly he was ambitious. Unlike the other neo-rurals, he alone had come from a local family of artisans, but had fought his way up the financial ladder in the city. Now, to show how much of a success he was, he and his family lived in a brand new house. The exception in the neo-rural social group. But despite heady success, Jean-Michel felt there was one element missing in his life, passion. It wasn't as though he disapproved of his wife, Marie-Christine. No, he was quite proud of her, for she was as elegant as he. No matter what time of day you dropped in on her, she would be perfectly dressed in skirt and stockings, precisely made up although her days were strictly domestic, and she only left the house for errands. But as I said, Marie Christine was a very reserved, prim woman, and, said Jean Michel, it was this primness that drove him crazy. He craved a woman with temperament, with fervor. And because such passion was lacking on his domestic scene, quite early on in his marriage she began taking one mistress after another. These mistresses weren't locals, but sophisticated city women. And with them, he knew all the excitement of romance. The meetings in chic cafes after work for a cinq a That's the five to seven, the French expression for gallant meetings after working hours. Perhaps a luxurious dinner. And, of course, the heated hours in Jean-Michel's garçonniere. The tiny but appealing apartment he kept in Paris for his affairs. It was all very 19th century. His mistress of the moment was a temperamental Polish woman who led him a merry dance. And, of course, he adored her. Not that he'd leave wife and children for her, of course. No, on the contrary. What he really wanted, he said to me, was for Mary Christine, his wife, to rise up, rebel, scream, protest at his bad treatment of her. He wanted her to rage at him when he didn't come home on some nights. He wanted her wrath at his openly flaunted infidelity. Yet Mary Christine always remained calm, self-possessed, but dutiful, and admittedly a bit confused. There were no open reproaches, although she must have suffered. There were no threats, no tantrums. Jean-Michel crazy. Desperate measures were needed to remedy the situation. What better way than to bring his passionate Polish mistress back to his home in his wife's absence and to possess her in the marital bed? The mistress went along with the plan. Did she think compliance would force his hand? That this was the first step towards becoming the next wedded wife? And so it was that one sunny weekday afternoon, when Marie-Christine came home from shopping, or the hairdresser, or wherever she had been, and went into her bedroom, she surprised the passionate couple in flagrant délit. What would any normal wife do? Jean-Michel asked me afterward. She would scream, cry rage. Did Marie-Christine do such a thing? No, she didn't. She simply stopped in the doorway, took in the scene, and said, quietly, Oh, excuse me, Uh, ah, Jean-Michel, there was something I wanted to ask you, but, oh, it's not important. We'll speak about it later. And with that, she withdrew. Of course, that put an end to the afternoon's passion, Jean-Michel and the mistress dressed. Probably in an uncomfortable silence, too. They went out to the car. He drove her back to Paris. Then he returned home, certain all hell would break loose now. Mary Christine was in the kitchen preparing dinner when he arrived. He stood in the doorway, waited for the explosion. But she only continued to prepare the meal. Finally, provoked beyond measure by the silence, he said not without sarcasm or mockery. You said there was something you wanted to ask me? Oh, oh, yes, I did, said Marie-Christine, turning her eyes, as mild as ever, towards him. Do you want roast potatoes tonight with dinner, or boiled? The Polish mistress later went the way of all mistresses, on to marriage with someone else. Jean-Michel and Marie-Christine did eventually divorce, But that was many years after, when he left her for a rural woman. After that, of course, he could no longer be part of the neo-rural social scene. He and his new wife moved to the next village where they drank excessively and lived unhappily but passionately. And their life was full of screams, cracked vases and smashed dinner plates. This exodus to the country from the city continues to this day with people seeking a better quality of life lower taxes a new start or more security but many of today's urban arrivals no longer seek the old houses they belong to quite another social class altogether workers lower echelon bureaucrats and they want to show status by buying the new look-alike houses in housing estates not new rurals but peri urbans they like their newly urbanized rural neighbors are not fond of muddy lanes or intrusive nature. Their lawns resemble carpets, and although they live on newly created roads with such names as Elm Tree, Lime Tree, or Oak Tree Street, there are no noble trees to be seen. Merely domesticated shrubs, cemented walkways, and cemented courtyards. But conflicts between near rurals and rurals do continue. Witness the recent story about the retired Parisian couple who sued their farmer neighbor because the odor of his cows in a nearby pasture upset them. Or all the complaints and lawsuits involving crowing cockles, church church.